Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast, uh, presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. As always, my name is Steven, and I am the host, and joining me today is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. We have a great interview for you guys in just a bit. And Chargers fans, how are you? We are, as of recording this, two weeks from camp. How you doing? We're almost there. Yeah, uh, countdown to camp has officially begun, and it's uh, it's getting closer and closer. Um, really excited about the interview that we have today, as Tyler mentioned. Uh, Mr. Ted Wynn of The Athletic is going to be joining us, talking all things related to Kellen Moore, Brandon Staley. Uh, we asked him about J.C. Jackson, and we just had a great conversation, um, and we'll get to that here in a second. But um, yeah, it was uh, very insightful. Can't thank him enough for joining us, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. After the interview, we, Tyler and I are going to sit down and talk about the uh, undrafted free agents that the Chargers have and potentially some guys that could really push for roster spots. Obviously, the Chargers have a great tradition in that regard. Um, obviously, recent guys like uh, Austin Eckler and Michael Davis, for example. So um, certainly possible that the Chargers do have a gem in this undrafted free agent class. And uh, we'll sit down and talk about all of those guys. Before we get started, before we get uh, to that interview... As always, Tyler and I are fans of the team just like you guys are. Uh, we are independent content creators, and as such, the opinions that we share on this episode and every episode are not always reflected uh, by of the Chargers organization. These are our opinions, and uh, they're ours alone, so um, that's that. Um, all right, let's get to this interview with Mr. Ted Nguyen. Hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, guys, as I said earlier, super excited to be joined by Ted Wynn of The Athletic, who does a great job covering the NFL. Um, I know at least formerly covering the Raiders, but I know uh, specifically, you know, doing some X's and O's stuff for The Athletic on Twitter. Um, one of the best guys to follow. Uh, I participated in a, in a spaces with him recently um, with Coach Voss. It was very enlightening and I had a ton of fun doing that. So, Ted, uh, thanks so much for joining us today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Happy to uh, have you here. Thanks uh, for taking the time today. We have uh, a lot of great stuff to get into, so we'll just dive in. Um, obviously, the Chargers making you know the big move uh, from Joe Lombardi to Kellen Moore, um, and a lot of people kind of the hype is really starting to build recently with Kellen Moore kind of taking over the offense. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts here of. Really, just how much of an upgrade you think Kellen Moore could be from Joe Lombardi in the, in the past regime, and maybe highlighting how his offense might, you know, allow Justin Herbert to take a, a, another step in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because um, you know Lombardi gets a ton of blame for the offense. Just watching the offense last year, I mean, you know, it's just the same plays over and over again. I'm sure you know the fans are know what's this what stick routes are by now very well and then uh, you know it's just the depth of target the type of routes that were thrown and you know I think part of it was he it was hamstrung by a pretty beat up offensive line too so you know the health of the offensive line is going to be uh, a major part in whether Kellen Moore can really upgrade his offense or not but um, I, I always have been pretty impressed by what uh, Kellen has done with the Cowboys and I, I know he's not a perfect offensive coordinator I mean you, you know there there are things that he needs to get better at too and I think uh, part of it he's a very young coach you know if you uh, look at his career he he just he went from 
being an NFL quarterback to being quarterback coach. And then all of a sudden he's a, he's a coordinator. So he just really doesn't have a ton of experience coaching, but I, I've liked what he's done as ter- uh, in terms of uh, creativity, uh, very specific game plans. Uh, but I think the biggest thing he can do for this Chargers offense is to build a dependable run game so that, you know, it's not always all on Justin Herbert's shoulders. It'll help improve the play action game. Um, but yeah, just getting a consistent run game that can get successful gains um, here down in and down out will be a, a big boost for this Chargers offense. I'm curious, uh, sorry, Tyler, to, to cut you off there, just kind of an, an expanded uh, question here, because uh, w- one thing that you talked about after the hiring was was Kellen's verbiage that, you know, uh, this merging of worlds that he that he's experienced in the NFL, um, you know, how would you kind of define his coaching tree or not coaching tree i guess his coaching ancestry if you want to call it that um obviously you know coaching for the longest tenure under mike mccarthy do you think that that west coast mike mccarthy sean payton-esque offense is going to be kind of what he leans into most or do you think maybe his past under um jason garrett and his playing experience might lean more into how he kind of approaches this season i think his latest uh term with mike mccarthy will probably influence what he does the most and you know despite the you know the the re- when mike mccarthy kind of came out and talked about the reasons why they uh, they separated with uh kellen moore he talked about wanting to run more and it it's kind of strange because the cowboys were like the most run heavy team in the league last year uh so i, I think his experience with uh mike mccarthy you know probably improved his ability to game plan uh with the run game and his willingness to run in in certain situations uh but i think he'll probably be more pass heavy but it's good that he has that experience as far as building out a a, a run a diverse run game because actually you know studying the cowboys offense they had a really diverse run game with a ton of concepts some really creative concepts in there as well uh but i do think he'll be more pass happy with the chargers but the important thing is just building an efficient run game. It doesn't mean they have to run the ball every first down and just be this kind of beat your head against the wall type of team, but just getting that run game to an efficient manner will, will be um, one of the best contributions he could make as an offensive coordinator. To your earlier point about Kellen Moore being a younger offensive coordinator, a newer offensive coordinator, what can he do to improve? I think a lot of us are focusing on, yeah, it's going to be awesome. The offense is going to be great, but there is room for improvement. I'm sure in your eyes, where he can, where can he improve? I think just situational football, and just um, kind, and maybe Charger fans don't want to hear this, but just being a little, a uh, little more varied mm. because you know I think sometimes he can lean into some of the things he likes a, a little bit, kind of like Lombardi does, uh, to a sense. Like he, you know, he he also is a big fan of stick routes. Um, you know, maybe Charger fans don't want to hear that. But, uh, you know, just being a little bit more varied, having a little bit more in, in the fourth quarter mm. to, to switch things up, I, I think would be a, a good um, progression for him. Is there an opponent or a scheme where he tends to go back to maybe what's safer, what's less varied because he wants to work with what sort of works within his wheelhouse? Because I feel like that was a common Joe Lombardi complaint among a lot of Chargers fans. Yeah, but I think it's to a lesser degree than Lombardi. Um, and, yeah, so it's just strange because, you know, we know Mike McCarthy had an influence on what he was calling with, with Dallas. So it'll it be curious to see what he does when he has a full reign on his offense. 
Yeah, and it, it certainly seems like that's going to be the case. You know, he talked about this, I believe, with uh, Peter Schrager on his podcast that, you know, Brandon City is certainly involved with the offense, but this is this is Kellen's offense, and he's going to be able to take mm-hmm. charge of it and play to Justin's strengths. And, you know, one of the things that they have both kind of talked about is not necessarily, like, tearing this down to the studs, but, like, building off of what the Chargers offense has done well and adding some wrinkles in and things like that. Um, you mentioned the the Cowboys run approach. You know the the Chargers have talked about like majoring in their strengths. What would you say the the from the run game perspective? What were the strengths of a Kellen Moore offense in the past few years in Dallas? Um, I think just the uh, the variety of runs they had. They could punish you in multiple different ways. They were they were a they majored in outside zone. That was their their main run, but they had so many different types of runs in their arsenal as well. They could gap scheme you. They could go inside run. They were very effective running out of the shotgun as well. And, you know, it, and it wasn't just because they were using DAC on options. They did that sporadically, but they were able to build a really strong shotgun run team without making the quarterback uh, a part of the option. And I think that's going to be um, good to pair with Justin Herbert because, you know, like he has athleticism to, uh, run some of those option plays, but you know you don't want him doing it too often. And obviously, with how effective he is as a, as a passer, you want to keep him in his shotgun as well. Moving to the the defense now, because there's so much positivity on the offensive side of the ball, and rightfully so. There's always going to be, I think, with Justin Herbert. But the other side of the ball is a bit more uncertain, and I think why a lot of fans or media members aren't buying the Chargers. But everywhere I look, it seems like all, all the best and respected film guys really do buy Brandon Staley as the you know defensive genius, elite game planner, schemer, etc. You had a great article before the wildcard game that highlighted that. And in individual games, as you pointed out, I got week two against the Chiefs, against the 49ers, against the Dolphins. There are moments of greatness. You know, that elite game planning is there. But in the macro of, of two seasons, the defense has underperformed relative to expectations. Granted, a lot of that is also injuries. So how does Brandon Staley take those flashes of greatness and then translate it to season-long success? Yeah, man, that, that article burned me. <laughs> I, I wrote that article, and, and uh, things were looking good in the first half of the Jaguars game. You know, they had all those picks. I was like, man, you know, I'm looking like uh, Vindication. this take was a really good take. And then all of a sudden, the second half happens. I'm like, oh, guys are just like caught. Like, guys are commenting on my article as the game was happening. Like, I told you he was terrible. But, man, um, he I, I think in the second half of uh, the, the Chargers game, and even throughout most of his, his Chargers tenure, he, he wasn't just running that Vic Fangio uh, too high scheme that, you know, he that he made so good with the with the Rams that got him this head coaching job. He he was, you know, running out too high, too high shells, but he was playing more man coverage. He was blitzing more. You know, his blitz percentage is a lot higher than people expect it to be when you're just when you're just looking at it. But I, I think really in the, in the second half of the season last year, when he you know the team was really banged up, um, he was just getting very game plan specific. You know, and you saw that against the Miami Dolphins. Um, you saw that against the Niners. He was willing to just not exactly scrape what he does, but he just came into that game with. Uh, just a lot more ammo, a, a bigger menu of things, just getting very game ta- uh, game plan specific. And I think uh, that's a good approach for him. I think he has the right mind for it. And then, you know, I think he is able to teach. He's a very effective teacher. And that's part of being able to run a multiple scheme is being able to get their players to execute. 
changing things week after week. So I think um, if he is able to apply that to an entire season, um, you know, that defense could be uh, could be very good. But again, you know, injuries are always such a such a big deal. Like these guys got to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of those guys uh, is certainly J.C. Jackson, the Chargers corner. And you had a, a great article after the Chargers signed him um, about what Brandon Staley could do with J.C. Jackson. And, you know, one of the things you talked about was the, the true advantages have, of having like a, a lockdown CB1. That really never came to fruition this year. Uh, and in his absence, Michael Davis kind of emerged as that guy for them, uh, which you talked about throughout the season. So, um, all things kind of trending positive for JC Jackson. We'll see what ultimately that looks like, but what do you make of how, you know, obviously talking about, you know, variety of outcomes here, but this chargers cornerback duo, and you can also talk about Asante Samuel jr. If you want, what kind of advantages does that present for Brandon Staley heading into his third season as, as Tyler alluded to previously? Yeah. I, you know, I think with JC Jackson, he, I don't, just wa yeah, I watched some film of him right before I came on this this pod just to kind of get a refresher. He just never looked like he was healthy, you know. And you know, he came into the season injured. It just I mean, it looked like he was playing really high. It, it looked like he had a hard time just really getting low and making breaks, like he was in New England. And also, there's uh, there's a change of scheme, you know, new verbiage, uh, a lot of added responsibility. He's not just playing man coverage on, on every play. I mean, they, it's not like that's all he did in New England, but they were doing that for a majority of snaps. Uh, but, yeah, I think having J.C. Jackson here for a second year, knowing the scheme and just kind of understanding his strength and weaknesses a little better will be uh, will, will be a huge advantage, obviously, mm -hmm. for his second year. Uh, but having a lockdown corner in this type of scheme just allows you to, to have a safety help in other positions. So, you know, they're, they're going to be in too high. But the safety that's over on J.C. Jackson's side, he doesn't have to always play a deep half over the top of him. You know, if you have a true lockdown corner there, you could have that safety start poaching and looking to the other side of the field, and that just opens up a lot of schemes for you. Um, obviously, it allows you to blitz more, which Staley wants to do when you have a guy that you could trust. Uh, so, yeah, you know, like you're playing too high, but having a guy that you could trust to isolate and you could disguise that in different ways is definitely an advantage, and hopefully that's what they're getting get with Jason Jackson in year two. Yeah, I hope so, man. The, the Chargers will be better if he's healthy. I did want an outside perspective on this question because if JC comes back, my assumption is that if he can come back to full health, he's starting opposite Michael Davis, and I don't really think that would be a question, again, if he's healthy, and that's the biggest question. But then the Chargers have a bit of an issue here when it comes to the slot because, you know, I, I think Asante Samuel Jr. is the better overall corner, um, and he certainly showed that in the first half mm -hmm. of that game. But then the Chargers have reduced his snaps before and taken him off the field in those run-obvious situations in, in favor of Jaw Taylor, who they drafted in the sixth round last year. So, And he had a great game in place of Bryce Callahan against the Dolphins. So in Staley's scheme, you know, how much stress is there on that slot corner to be able to tackle and play the run? And if they don't trust Asante Samuel Jr. to play the run, and they do trust Jaw Taylor, like how much is Asante Samuel Jr. in danger of being benched? Just from like your outside perspective, you know, what do you think they would do there? Yeah, I mean, I, that's a great question. I, you know, the nickel that um, Brandon Staley had with the Rams was Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to get 
a better run defender, you know, with the size he has, athleticism he has at, at the nickel position. So that just kind of shows you how important it is to be uh, physical at that position in this scheme. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, the the, the cor- aside from J.C. Jackson, they do have uh, some smaller corners. Asante Samuel's one of them, and he could play there in, in passing downs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you want a bigger nickel and – you know, I'm not very familiar with John Taylor's game, but before the season, I, I thought that uh, the, the fact that they did draft JT Woods and they did talk about this was so that they could move uh, Derwin James down to play more mm. nickel. And, you know, obviously uh, JT Woods did take a little bit longer to develop. Um, and, you know, maybe he is able to play a little bit more, but if he can play a little bit more or they do find a different safety and it's going to be diff- more difficult with a, um, Nasir Adderley, um you know, retiring as well. Um, if you could find two good safeties, you could trust to play deep. And then, you know, you could have Derwin James play in that nickel. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, when he's in that nickel position, there's not a lot of guys better than him. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of Chargers fans will be really excited about. Uh, you know, Derwin James being around the box more, I think, is, is good for everybody. Um, you mentioned JT Woods here. I, I, there are some other interesting young players on the Chargers. And we'll flip back to the offensive side here. Um, you know, everybody's really excited about Quentin Johnston uh, and, and his addition. And, you know, he recently talked on a different podcast about, you know, becoming the, the starting receiver position in, in this offense. Um, there's been some like mixed messaging in terms of like national media because everybody wanted the Chargers to go draft like a legitimate burner and, and really allow Justin Herbert to, you know, have that guy who can take the top off of deep off of off of defenses. What do you make of Quentin's addition to this offense? Do you think he could be more of what people are looking for than maybe he's being being credited for in the national media? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everyone wants to see that burner to take the top off of defenses. But uh, you don't just draft a burner high up in the draft because he could get deep because you can't find that skill. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could find that trait lower in the draft. You could find that. In free agency, you can sign guys like, you know, Marquise Goodwin, who um, will defenses have to respect, you know, his, his speed and, and stay over top of him. Um, so you could find that skill set other places. It doesn't have to be in the first round. So drafting Quinton Johnson, it, to me, it's like a um, it is a bit of a luxury pick because, you know, you do have Mike Williams, who has a similar type of skill set, not saying that they have the same game. Um, but I mean, you, you see how much Mike Williams have gotten hurt. You see how many, you know, how these receivers were in and out of the lineup last year. So you can see why uh, they want to have a guy like Quentin Johnson that can do multiple things. And I think he can win deep as well. But he's not just that guy, that little guy that's going to run a four-two. But he he can win deep in his own ways too. So just having him there is going to, um, you know, just give give them depth at that position, give him a little bit more speed because he can win deep. But again, he's not that four-two guy. Um, and also just having a guy that could run after the catch. You know, I, I don't think the um, uh, the Chargers really have a receiver that specializes in able in being able to create yards after the catch, and, and Johnson can do that. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. Um, the Chargers have not had that for sure. Out of curiosity, just as much as you have watched with Kellen Moore and what he did in Dallas, is there any kind of role comp for what Quentin Johnson could do for the Chargers that Kellen Moore had in Dallas. They've always involved a wide receiver three, but I don't know that they've ever had like a Quentin Johnson type. But is there maybe a role comp in that offense? Um, I, I, you know, I think it's difficult because you know C.D. Lamb would be that guy, but they have uh, they obviously have a lot of slot type guys that can play in the slot mm-hmm. uh, with the Chargers. So 
you know, maybe he can't take some of those uh, CD Lamb plays as far as just getting the ball short and then uh, trying to create after the catch. Yeah, excellent there. Uh, Tyler, you want to get to our last question here? Uh, no, go for it, Stephen. Okay. Um, Ted, again, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us. I think everybody is trying to figure out how their – everybody, meaning fans, obviously, trying to figure out how their respective team – stacks up in the AFC and it's a, it's a loaded group. Obviously you have a lot of teams who have an argument to, you know, be, you know, reaching the mountaintop, so to speak, and, and potentially chasing down the chiefs. Do you think anybody can really cash the chiefs this year? Or do you think there's going to be kind of a, you know, business as usual, so to speak, and the chiefs kind of coming out on top of the AFC this year? I thought last year would be the year that you can catch Chiefs. You know, I, I didn't think they were a bad team, but losing Tyreek Hill is uh, it's a big deal, and they, they ended up winning the Super Bowl anyway. So uh, I, I think it, it's possible. I mean, you see the way that the AFC West teams play the Chiefs. They play them pretty tough, besides the Broncos. But they, they, play, them, uh, they play them pretty tough. The Raiders, <laughs> you know, you could, could take them to the end of games. You know, obviously the, the game with the Chargers, um, you know, were both uh, – you know, games that went down to the wire. So you can beat the Chiefs, but, you know, with Patrick Mahomes there, Andy Reid, it's a very tough ordeal, but it, uh, it's possible, but it, it is tough. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely an, the the right choice there. Um, uh, Ted, this has been great, man. Uh, Chargers fans, make sure and go check his articles out uh, on The Athletic. Obviously, you guys know Daniel Popper very well. Uh, Ted is another great contributor over there, recently doing – a fantastic article on Mr. Max Crosby. So if you want some uh, Raiders intel, go check that out and uh, see what's in store for this season. So, Ted, thanks so much for joining, man. Appreciate your time today. Uh, we'll be in touch down the road for sure. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, Tyler, what did you think of, man? That was, a, that was a great conversation. What was kind of your big takeaway from that conversation with Mr. Ted Wynn? Just the the hope that this defense can get that consistency that it's we've been looking for because – you know, he, he talked about it and we've talked about it and we've seen it like this defense is so talented and this coach is very, very smart. Just things haven't been able to come together, you know, game to game to game to game for an entire season. So just getting closer to that, feeling like we can work in J.C. Jackson. You know, I think I think Ted pointing out that J.C. came back from that injury and he came back very early and didn't look the same. I think is, I guess, a, a good sign, although this, this injury that he sustained after he came back <laughs> is really brutal. But the fact that we definitely weren't getting the J.C. Jackson that we saw in New England mainly or, or completely because he just was not healthy, I guess kind of is a good thing and something optimistic because this whole offseason, if he can come back healthy and be healthy week one or week five or whenever he joins the team, the Chargers could be really, really good on defense. And I hope they're really, really good this year, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, you know the the hype and hope for the offense has kind of been there obviously since Kellen Moore got hired, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's been a pretty pessimistic offseason for the defense, and so I think maybe some of that's starting to build back up a little bit. Um, hopefully, talking to Ted and, and that interview helped you guys gain some uh, optimism as well. I think for me, you know, and this is something that I've kind of you know gone back and forth with just watching the Cowboys offense is, you know, I, I think the real strength of Kellen Moore and Brandon Staley, I think we can see them aligning pretty frequently. And that's their ability to come in and take a game plan and really adapt it to whoever they are playing against. And that's not mm -hmm. really something we saw much of. It was generally a lot of like, we're going to do what we do on offense and that's just going to work. And we're going to have Justin Herbert, you know, be Justin Herbert and we're going to score points. 
Um, you know, if you watch the Cowboys offense on a week to week basis, the last four seasons under Kellen Moore, they might head into one game and they're going to air it out and Dak's going to throw it 55, 60 times. The next week, you know, you see Zeke at 25 carries, Tony Pollard 15, and, and they're just going to go run heavy. And I watched that from the 2019 season. Um, you know, I watched them play against the Packers and Zeke barely had any touches and it was all Dak and it was all, you know, airing it out. And it was a lot of fun to watch. It was. Um, and then you watch them uh, a couple weeks later against the Giants and it was like every other play was, you know, we're just going to run at you and you can't stop mm. us. So um, the ability that Kel Moore has to specifically game plan, I think, is something that Chargers fans will be really happy about. And Ted pointed that out a little bit as well. Yeah, I love hearing that. I'm glad you're going back to watch the film. Whether it's offense or defense, maybe one of these undrafted free agents can help out. Yeah, definitely. All right, good transition there, by the way. Well done. Um, all right, so we have, I'm not going to lie, I haven't watched film on all of these undrafted free agents. I've gotten to nine of them. Um, so we'll, you know, there's some that I think are just have an extra long shot just based off of the positions that they play. Um, but we're going to highlight five undrafted free agents that we feel have a legitimate chance to make this roster. And this is not necessarily like a power ranking. Like we're not going to sit here and say like so-and-so is better than so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, you know, talking about players who have a legitimate chance to make this roster. Um, you know, there's some definitely some debate, I think, here. Some good players who can fit into some roles that... You know, sometimes there's some surprises. Like, I don't think anybody really had Roderick Teamer making the Chargers roster, but, you know, sometimes you just have a role and, and that role fits into a position of need. So, uh, Tyler, who do you think of this undrafted free agent class has the best chance of making this roster? The best chance would be Gerard Clark from Coastal Carolina. Uh, he's a big guy. Everyone knows that. Chargers fans are very excited about him. And just going through what granted this is national media but the way that he was scouted and the, the draft grades put on him you look at the at bleacher report they had a fifth round grade uh damien parson our guy at the draft network uh, i believe had a third round grade on him mm-hmm. um Zerline from nfl.com had a fifth round grade on him so not saying that this is a first round player that fell to the chargers as an undrafted free agent but a draftable player and at least early in in the on day three and they got him as an undrafted free agent and i think more than anything else, you know, whether I think he's better than some of these other undrafted free agents at his position, that's a debate. But you're talking about who is maybe more likely to make the team. It really comes down to the position that he plays and the openings that could be there because there's no other spot on this team where you can project potentially two openings in front of this player. Now, granted, that doesn't mean that he's the next in line. It could be Hinton. It could be Terrence Lang. It could be you know, anybody else. But there are potentially going to be two openings to start the season, not by the end of the year, but with Austin Johnson being hurt, his health up in the air, Otito Ogboni, I think we know even less about him and his injury. I think Gerard Clark, with what he can do, what he can bring, his draft pedigree, his background, and the fact that there's two openings in front of him, I think he's most likely to make the roster. And even just the last two seasons, right, they've... The Chargers are very fluid with their defensive tackle spot to start the season. They like to, you know, if one guy balls out in the preseason... They'd like to have that player make the initial roster. And then once, you know, all the cuts happen and the waiver period goes through, then maybe they cut that player and they go to the practice squad. So in 2021, it was Forrest Merrill. In 2022, it was Braden Fajoko. So if Gerard Clark balls out in the preseason and in training camp, I could see them doing the same thing. So to me, Gerard Clark, you know, again, whether I think he's better or worse or whatever than their players is a whole different thing. 
but he has the the easiest opportunity and chance to make the roster i think yeah and i think his skill set obviously does lend itself towards filling a position of need for the chargers Mm -hmm. depending on health like you mentioned um you know I, i think statistically you can point out you know gerard clark had 16 run stops in 2021 he had 19 this past year in 2022 um, and and the, the good thing there is that his run stop percentage actually increased by almost three whole points um, or, um, from 2022 to, tw- or excuse me, 2021 to 2022. Mm. Um, his 8.0% run stop percentage was 12th best in the country last year of players who were draft eligible in 2023. So um, he was right next to Gervon Dexter, who I know you liked in this mm. draft. Um, for what it's worth, Scott Matlock, who the Chargers did draft, although different skill sets, he was at 6.7, um, but he did have 24 total run stops. So you look at the guys on this list who were maybe uh, drafted ahead of him. Siaka, Siaki Ika was at 6.6%. Mm-hmm. Um, Byron Young from Alabama, 6.5%. So it just kind of shows you the kind of player that he can be. Um, you know, for a, a potential defense and you're looking at a three, four scheme that is a little bit more versatile up front than I think people are, you know, usually thinking like, I, I, I think the days of like a true stereotypical nose tackle are kind of done with, like there really aren't that many guys out there, but that's what Gerard Clark can be. He can eat up space mm-hmm. at the nose. And I think the nice thing there is that can free up Sebastian Joseph day and Austin Johnson and whoever else is healthy to, really focus in on playing the three-tech role, the five-tech role. And we saw with Brayden Foco's emergence down the stretch last year that a lot, that freedom for Sebastian Joseph Day really allowed him to kind of get back to his former self too. Yeah. Do you have him ahead of Ter- – I know you're not talking about like ahead of behind, but like Terrence Lang is the other guy that could make it. And we're talking about two injuries. Um, but yeah. do you have – Gerard Clark ahead of Terrence Lyon because the di- Lyon because the difference in them is like fifty pounds. Two completely different kinds of players, different yeah. roles on the team. Yeah. So Terrence Lang uh, from Colorado. For those who don't know, um, he kind of played in like a the three three five defense that's super prevalent in college football. So he was a quote unquote edge rusher for Colorado, but the Chargers do have him listed as a defensive lineman. I think he's more. Uh, pigeonholed into playing an inside defensive end, you know, kind of a similar role as like Morgan Fox who can occasionally kick outside. Um, you know, Terrence Lang, I think for, for me, I, I would have graded Terrence Lang higher than I would have graded Gerard Clark mm-hmm. personally. Um, I think Terrence Lang just gives you a bit more speed presence. I think it gives you a bit more polish in the hand usage because Gerard Clark, I think, He's a space eater, but he like I think he can improve with his hands. I think he can improve with his his pad level too. Terrence Lang was a six year player in college, is was a very common theme in the draft this year. So Terrence Lang I think has a bit more polish to him. Um and so I think there can be a role for Terrence Lang. I think he's kind of mm-hmm. I would have him behind Chris Hinton in, in terms of like jockeying for a position there. But I think there is a role for Terrence Lang because he He's an inside defensive end who his strength is defending the run. So we're talking about a lot of run defense guys today. Um, But you look at his statistics this past year in college at Colorado, he was uh, 14th in run stop percentage at Mm -hmm. 8.7% among edge rushers. So it's a little different kind of projecting there. But, you know, a lot of guys who were drafted much earlier than him who were 
touted as like run defense guys, you know, Keon White was at 7.1%. Isaiah Foskey was from Notre Dame was at 6.7%. So this is a real strength of Terrence Lings. And I don't think there's a ton of projection in that regard for him to carve out a potential role on early downs. The pass rushing is a bit of a, a work in progress. He does have, you know, kind of a speed to power package to him, but there's not a whole lot of countering off of that. Hmm. Um, but great length, great first step. And then he's just kind of a, a bull in a china shop as a run defender too. So I like Lang more, but I think mm-hmm. he's he's kind of down the pecking order than Gerard Clark would be because Gerard Clark plays a role that the Chargers don't really have a lot of options uh, behind Austin Johnson and Otita Obonia. Yep, I agree with you there, and I can't wait to see this guy play. He's got 34.75-inch arms, um, which is a (laughs) little bit longer than Sebastian Joseph Day's arms. And the Chargers and Brandon Staley, Jay Rogers, these guys all really do covet that length. So hopefully it pays off. Yeah, um, for what it's worth, uh, I would put Terrence Lang in my top five of of likely to make it. I would Mm -hmm. have him at five, though. I I agree. I think Gerard Clark is is the most likely to to make it. Second for me, I I was really surprised by this guy when I watched his tape earlier this week, and that's A.J. Finley from Ole Miss. Um, we know the Chargers have a need at safety. Sounds like you like him too. Um, and, and I think me and you are higher on Raheem Lane than than general consensus among Chargers fans, but um, I think A.J. Finley can just give them a little bit something different that they don't really have. I think you have, obviously, Derwin who can do everything, I think Alohi's kind of your your box safety run defender guy. I think JT in an ideal world can be kind of your center fielder. But I was really impressed with AJ Finley when he would match up one on one, when he would match coverages. I thought his instincts in that regard were fantastic. And I think that was kind of something we liked about Mark Webb initially when he had, you know, his uh great first training camp as a rookie. You haven't seen it come to fruition in the regular season yet, but AJ Finley as a pass defender, I think has a really, really high IQ. That's something we know that Brandon Staley really values in this defense. Ronaldo Hills talked about it. Derek Ansley has talked about it. The ability to see things happening in front of them. Um, I think there are some limits athletically with him. He's not like the quickest to break on the ball, but just in terms of like positioning, matching routes, making plays on the football, I thought AJ Finley was outstanding in those regards. So he will be second behind Gerard Clark for me. Yeah, he made my top five. Just watched him earlier this week. And you you took everything that I possibly could have said about <laughs> him. Um, and it really does come down to, like, we're talking about pro- roster projections here. You know, is there an opportunity for him? And while I think that the safety room is is sort of crowded, there's that last spot that really isn't. Like, I do think Raheem Lane is the front runner, then Mark Webb, then Finley. But I don't think any of those two guys in front of him are, are so irreplaceable. Again, I think Raheem Lane makes right. the roster, but watching AJ Finley, you know, with his, his production at Ole Miss, what he's able to do, um, what he shows in coverage, like you talked about, there were moments where I'm like, are you sure he's not going to be a corner? Like I almost thought that he could just convert to corner rather than be a safety and, and do really well yeah. there. So I think that there's an uphill battle, of course, I think because Raheem Lane was a corner. He can cover Mark Webb. We've seen he can cover, so there is definitely an uphill battle there, but AJ Finley's really, really talented. He made my top five as well. Yeah, I was I was surprised with you know how much I liked an Ole Miss safety. Uh, it's not usually <laughs> their forte. Although obviously the Chargers are pretty familiar with him and his game because they drafted Dean Leonard last year. So 
You know, I'm mm. sure that they watched a lot of AJ Finley too. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think he's a willing run defender. I don't think it's necessarily his his strong suit. So that's kind of like I think the 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 area that he really needs to focus in on if he's going to make this this team. Um, special teams is going to play a huge role there. So you know that's kind of like the leg up that I think Raheem yeah. Lane has over the other guys, but. You know, like you said, it's not enough of a uh, an advantage for him that he's like the clear cut safety four. Although me and you are probably higher on him than most. Um, all right, Tyler, who would be uh, next on the list for you? So we've talked about him before, but that's Mike Ezeki, the tight end from UCLA. Mm-hmm. Again, opportunity. Um, Daniel Popper had the Chargers carrying four tight ends this year. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But the Chargers certainly could use more development at tight end. Get someone in the room to continue to develop and but he had stone smart making it and for right now yes i do think stone smart is ahead of mike Ezeki. i think anyone who was on the team is ahead of most undrafted free agents but um, i think Ezeki, what he did or what he can do as a converted you know wide receiver to tight end as he continues to grow and like literally because he's bulking up to play tight end get bigger get stronger etc as he learns more of the ins and outs of that i, I do think that he can start pushing for that tight end four spot I think they have to keep four tight ends for him to make it, but I do think he can push for that spot because I think Stone Smart is right now the better receiver, um, another converted player from quarterback. Um, so I do think he's the better receiving option right now, but Ezekiel is very good in that regard as well. And if he can hold it as a blocker, that's going to be huge. We're talking about all these guys need to contribute on special teams. And I think if Ezekiel can show that he's the better blocker and also that's the Chargers just need that on offense anyway, I think he has a nice shot to make the roster. Yeah, I, I do too. I think the the offense is really going to focus in on yards after catch when it comes to mm-hmm. this tight end room, maybe outside of Gerald Everett. And I think that is a, a strong suit of of Mikey Ezeki. So I think you, I, even Jason Witten in 2019, I was watching Cowboys 2019 offense and Jason Witten was getting yards after catch opportunities left and right. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I'd be doing that personally, but you know, uh, it is what it is. So I think Ezekiel can come in and, and fit that role. I think if you look at his numbers, like his efficiency on a per-touch basis was really outstanding. Um, he averaged 6.6 yards after catch per reception, which was uh, ninth of any draft-eligible tight end this past season. He was ahead of Sam Laporta. He was ahead of Dalton Kincaid. He was ahead of Lou Schoonmaker, Josh Wiley, all guys who were drafted. Um, you look at his yards per route run, though, that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. a, a UCLA thing because he wasn't targeted a whole lot. Um, but his average depth of target was 8.5. So he's somebody who can, you know, work the middle of the field. He can stretch defenses vertically. He can give you yards after catch in space. So I think he's, he's an intriguing prospect for me. The, the tight end room, like you mentioned, I think they would have to keep four, you know, they might sign somebody else. So I was, I was a little hesitant to put Ezekiel in my top five, um, so for me, he was just outside of it, but definitely worth talking about because mm-hmm. I do think that he could come in and and fill a role and, and give them another target who can uh, provide some some intriguing athletic traits. Mm-hmm. Right, who else is on your list? Uh, so I think there is a world in which one of these receivers makes this team, um, and I think this has to be Pokey Wilson, not Williams. Got it right that time. <laughs> uh, so I, I think Pokey Wilson can give them some things that they – um, that the other guys behind him don't necessarily have. I think you look at body types. I think Pokey Wilson and Terrell Bynum are, are kind of similar body types, but the skill sets are, are very different. I think Pokey Wilson can give you some more versatility. I actually really liked what he was able to do with the ball in his hands. 
again, potential yards after catch in this offense, I think is, is crucial. Um, the stuff that we've seen from OTAs and stuff like that has mostly been him as an outside receiver, but I do think his best work comes as a slot, uh, option for me. I don't know if you feel that way, but, um, I think his, his speed is not necessarily, you know, high end. I think he's more quick than fast. Um, but I think he can give them some flexibility with the slot. And I think he can give them some versatility in terms of like being a jet sweep guy. I think he can be, mm. you know, a jump ball guy in the, in the red zone if he wants to. So I, I think Pokey Wilson is just kind of the most well-rounded receiver of these undrafted guys. And I do think that he would be number three on my list for me. Yeah, he's he's actually number three on my list as well. So there you go. And I, I do agree that he is more quick than fast. And like he literally is more quick than fast. His 40 time. Granted, that's not everything. We've talked about, you know, GPS tracking data with Tom Telesco, but he does run a four six, so he's not like a burner on the team. And that's why he's third right now. I could see him being first or even second if he were a bit faster or if the Chargers didn't have someone like Hightower in front of him. So, you know, it's a crowded room for sure. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys who can do a lot of great things for this receiving core room. Um, he just unfortunately lands on a team this year that has their most well-rounded receiving core room in the past decade, I think. Yeah, I uh, it, it's we'll see what happens here. Obviously, I think if Jalen Guyton's healthy, then I think Pokey Wilson you know moves down my list. But mm-hmm. um, we just don't know. We haven't really seen or heard much of an update about Jalen Guyton recently, and so until we know there, I think one of these receivers does does have to at least be mentioned. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I'll go with uh, one more name before we get out of here, and that is Tyler Huseman, the running back from North Dakota. I think he might follow in the tradition of, let's see, Brandon Oliver, Detrez Newsom, Kenneth Farrow, <laughs> Austin Eckler, all these running backs who is undrafted free agent guys who make the roster. And I think that, well, first of all, Tyler Hoosman has an elite first name. Uh, no bias there. He just has a really <laughs> good first name. Uh, <laughs> but if you compare nice. actual football stuff, if you compare relative athletic scores, he would be the second most athletic running back behind um, Austin Eckler and ahead of Joshua Kelly. Not by much. But the Chargers room isn't like the most dynamic athletically. So him being the second most athletic by that score would you know help. Um, he definitely broke out after transferring to um, North Dakota from Northern Iowa. Um, he averaged 5.8 yards per carry, over 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns on just 175 attempts. What I do really like and what I think you know helps translate to special teams is that he blocks really well. He blocks with aggressiveness. He runs hard in the red zone. Uh, there were no fumbles last year, no drops. So I, I really think... In that regard, you know, catching Ryan Ficken's eye, he's competing with Larry Roundtree for that fourth spot. Now, is there going to be a fourth spot? I don't know, but obviously they did carry four last year. They did have Larry Roundtree on the team. Um, so I do think someone like Hoosman, who is a bit bigger than Dotson, can kind of have that role potentially. Again, I'm not really sure how much of a space there is for a fourth running back. Um, but if, yeah. if, if Xander Horvath is not a big part of Kellen Moore's plans, then I could see Hoosman starting as one of those wings on kickoff opposite Joshua Kelly. Um, Ryan Ficken tries to have, you know, more of those running back fullback types, whereas we saw with Swinton, it was, you know, Chris Rumpf out there and some other player I can't remember. Um, so if they want to go that route, he could definitely make it that way. Um, and I was talking to, I actually talked to Hoosman earlier today, um, and he's sharing about wow. his journey from, from Northern Iowa to North Dakota. He wanted to get somewhere where he wasn't in that running back by committee, um, so he could really show off what he could do as a lead back, you know, gain that confidence, develop those skills, that sort of thing. 
And he really did get to showcase that, even though he wasn't like a 300 carry back, like I'm sure Bijan was. Um, it's still 175 carries, I think 22 out of 23 um, targets were caught for him. Um, so obviously he made the Chargers, so things worked out for him. Um, but he's got a lot to learn and a lot to develop. This is a player who hasn't had a ton of action, um, but he's certainly working on that, I guess, with running backs coach Derek Foster. He's working on pre-snap and post-snap you know, defensive recognition because you know all these guys are bigger, faster, stronger. They've played in the league for several years or they're just super talented. So he's working on that. He's working on explosiveness out of his cuts, working on getting faster, which is great. I'd love a very fast running back on this team if we can get one. Um, but he's really looking forward to bringing his downhill running style um, to the team, which is something that could complement Austin Eckler. So I think there's, there's a world where maybe the Chargers don't have four right away, but he could work onto the roster because of special teams and because the Chargers do need to prepare for the, the vacuum and the, the empty space that will occur when guys like Austin Eckler, when guys like Joshua Kelly, projecting for now, who knows, um, but the contracts are up, right? So at some point, they're going to need to find some other guys yeah. to work in here. I'm not saying that he's going to start for Austin Eckler next season, um, but I do think he's someone that could catch Ryan Ficken's eye and work his way onto the roster either early on or at some point during the season. Yeah, I would love to see that because I think Joshua Kelly, like I, I, I think he's a good special teamer, um, but I want him focusing on offense. Like I, I think there is a need for, you know, some somebody to emerge and take that off of his plate. Um, maybe that's Isaiah Spiller this year. We don't know, but um, I think Joshua Kelly is going to be super important on offense, and uh, they're going to need somebody to take, to take some off of his special teams plate. So I would love to see that. Um, just quickly, I think Taiwan Mullen is worth mentioning, mm -hmm. um, the former cornerback from Indiana, um, pretty similar profile to Jossier Taylor in terms of his size, speed, um, slot flexibility. Um, one of my favorite things about him is actually his work as a blitzer. Um, I think that's a fantastic role for him and maybe a way for him to distinguish himself. So, um, wanted to at least mention him briefly. I think he could be maybe a little redundant with the all of the things that need to happen at slot because I think that's where he's probably best projected in the NFL. Um, but maybe there's you know there's a world where Jasir Taylor is a starter and less of a special teams player. Maybe Tywan Mullen can kind of take that over for from him. So um, I think I think Tywan Mullen is is worth mentioning. Didn't know this earlier, but the younger brother of uh, Trayvon Mullen, uh, formerly of the Las Vegas Raiders. So oh. uh, NFL bloodlines, I guess there. I guess I, I could have made that connection. Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> duh. How did I not put that together? Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. The DB room is so tough to crack, particularly if you're looking at corner. Like, where do these guys fit in? But I guess, like, if maybe right. JC's not healthy, then maybe there's a spot. But is that Kimon Hall? It's kind of tough to break into that one. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, great conversations today with Ted Nguyen. Uh, great undrafted free agent conversation. Hopefully you guys are getting excited for training camp. Obviously that's kind of the goal of these episodes is kind of ramp up that excitement as we get closer and closer to football. So um, appreciate everybody for tuning in. Special thanks again to Ted for joining us. Thanks to Greg Kim for uh, producing the show today. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the channel here and our own, the guilty as charged podcast. Really have some other content throughout the rest of the lead up towards training camp. So uh, Tyler, appreciate you as well. That's going to do it for us today. We'll see you guys next time. And as always, Bolt up.